Welcome back to the For Freedom Podcast. We wanted to bring you a special episode this week. Uh, this is an episode from one year ago. We had a uh, RFP meetup in Danville, Virginia, and me and John and Kristen were able to do a breakout on what is biblical counseling and uh, how to be effective in that area. And so audio, just to let you know, is not the best. Um, we did record this on our phone and so there are some Q&A times, so it may be difficult to hear. Just want to give you a heads up. But, man, it's a great hour and 15, 20-minute conversation. Um, some great questions that were asked from the audience. And uh, I've had taken out some of the questions that were asked to be taken out. Um, so we hope this will be a blessing to you. And uh, we hope to see you this week coming up at the RFP Meetup in Asheville, um, as well as uh, Israel's coming up if you're interested in that. That's uh, going to be a blast. Me and Brett are both going to be at the meetup. And if you're there, come by, talk to us, and hopefully you'll be able to, uh, maybe if you want to tell us your story uh, or be on the episode, let us know. It'd be a blessing. So hopefully you enjoy this episode of the Four Freedom Podcasts. Welcome to the Four Freedom Podcast. I found my freedom in you. This podcast exists to bring the freedom of the gospel for everyday Christians with everyday issues. Now here are your hosts, James Saferick and Brett Martin. Father God, I love you, Lord, and I thank you so much for each and every one of these people that have made the time out of their week to come and listen to some great preaching and um, also to be able to discuss biblical counseling and how um, that impacts not only our lives but the lives of others that we interact with. Um, I pray that um, you would guide our words today and that everything we say and do will honor and glorify you. You know, I pray. Amen. 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 So welcome today and uh, we're excited about being able to talk about this thought of gospel-centered counseling and don't know why you're here. Maybe you're just interested in wanting to be a counselor, maybe you just got issues that you're wanting to deal with, or you have questions for us. And so we're going to sort of talk through what is biblical counseling, uh, what, what that role is and what that looks like in our lives. And then at the end, we're going to open up for some question and answer time. If maybe you've got a situation uh, that you'd want us to try to tackle and, and assist. And, and we don't want this to ever be just a shotgun, here's a verse, figure it out. In biblical counseling, it is a process of figuring out where that person's at spiritually before we ever get to the nuts and bolts. Typically, it's a couple of sessions. Well, how so. many, raise your hand if you actually are uh, in ministry. Okay, so about half and half. Okay. All right. And that's good. That I like that because um, you don't have to, this is not just a full-time ministry no. thing. This no. is, as, as Kristen's about to explain, this everybody well, should be doing this. So, and, yeah. and we're going to preface all that by saying there is this book that we picked up. I picked it up. It just came out. We'll be recommending a lot of books probably in this session. <laughs> this book is called The Gospel for Disordered Lives. It's an expensive book. I got it at a convention um, like half off or 60% off. That's the only reason why I bought it. Uh, but as we got to looking through it, there's 40 chapters. And I'm just going to read a couple of the chapter titles to you just to, so you can see 
uh, what's going on here. Uh, the first couple chapters is what is biblical counseling? Why should we do biblical counseling? Um, it goes through how do we disorder someone's problems? How do we figure out those problems? The overview of a change process, the role of the church, giving hope when we counsel, um, ethics and legal issues, anger, resentment, fear, sadness, infertility, suicide, eating disorders, addictions, grief, trauma, abuse, pornography, same-sex attraction, sexual abuse, guidance and decision-making, physical diseases, injuries, disabilities, medical care. And then the last four chapters, I think it's probably the most important here, counseling children, counseling teenagers, counseling middle-aged adults, and counseling older adults. Um, so how to do those in a great way. So I'm in the process of beginning to read this book at some point. It's on my list to read, uh, but just the titles. And it, the, the guys who recommend it are great guys. Um, so great resource here that's going to help you if you're in this area of trying to figure out how to help people. So we'll start. I'm going to sort of moderate. And I'm going to sort of ask these guys some questions. Um, so the first one is this. What is gospel-centered biblical counseling? What is gospel-centered biblical counseling? Kristen, you're going to answer that for us oh. <laughs> and uh, jump, on, jump on away. Um, so I'm much – so just to give a little bit of background about me and with counseling, while I believe they are certified or on their way to being certified, I am in the process of uh, being a certified biblical counselor. But um, one of the things that I always, always resonated with me when I first – kind of was exposed to biblical counseling and the idea of biblical counseling is that we're all counselors ultimately. Like in my mind, I had like, oh, the pastor is the one who counsels people and that's solely just to them. Um, and then I was involved in a couple different churches that exposed me to what biblical counseling really looked like and what it looked like between one another, between believer and believer, not just a pastor and um, their church member. And um, so one of, those, one of the biggest things that I took away from uh, being introduced to a lot of that is that we are all counselors. At some point, there's going to be someone that you interact with that is going to need counsel. And where am I going to pull that counsel from? And so that's why um, I know a lot of times people have some different thoughts and feelings about biblical counseling. Unfortunately, we can all attest to it's been misused as Pretty much anything has been able yes. to be misused, yes. right? It's not just biblical counseling. We've all come out of, most of us at least, have come out of an area where um, scripture itself was misused, right? It was used to manipulate, to control, to do all of these things. We're not going to take it and say, okay, well, scripture is, we're going to toss it out because it's not sufficient or it's not, it was used in a wrong way. It's kind of the same thing with biblical counseling. It can be used in an incorrect way, unfortunately. And we've all seen that and felt the um, effects of that. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong or it's bad or we need to not use it. Um, because ultimately we would all say that scripture is sufficient, right? We, all scripture is sufficient. And that is what we use as our guide through this life. And that is what... Um, we would pull from when we are giving counsel. So in a nutshell, biblical counseling is soul care and it's just um, caring for the souls of the people that you're interacting with, whether it be your mom, your best friend, your uh, someone that you don't know that's in your church, or if you're in a more, I'm going to say professional or um, structured setup of being um, going to a, being in active counseling of like every week or every other week or something like that. But it's just caring for the souls of people. Yeah, John. What do you think about that? And uh, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on 
gospel-centered biblical counseling. No, yeah, I, I echo everything Kristen says. Uh, uh, we were talking at lunch, and I said, um, R.C. Sproul, whatever you think of him, he wrote a book years ago called Everyone's a Theologian. And the premise of the book was basically this. Everybody believes something, and everybody expresses those beliefs some way, so therefore, you are practicing some type of theology, so therefore, you are a theologian. The question is, what is your theology, and is it good theology? And so I would piggyback off of his concept and say, everyone's a counselor. The question is, what kind of counselor are you giving? Mm -hmm. And when we think about this, you know, we, we can go back to um, really think about what we heard in the last session by Mark. Yeah. I mean, if we are amening that kind of preaching, how are we walking that out in everyday life and, and practicing is the Bible sufficient? Now, before we go on, I want to introduce everybody. This is Jonathan Beasley of Explore Christianity, and uh, he has joined us with this, and he's got a lot of ministry experience and also experience with uh, working with apologetics and stuff, and I think also uh, apologetics is great in helping counseling. Think about even how much that uh, can help somebody who has been hurt in church with spiritual abuse. Apologetics is an avenue or an aspect that can actually help them heal. Right, right. Totally, and um, one thing I think is an interesting point of study is actually studying the correlation between philosophy and psychology and how they often, they'll intersect. And if you even broaden that from a Christian perspective, how actually theology does bring together, and obviously from God's perspective, these two things, a clear philosophy, so like how to think, but also... If you think about psychology, we're getting into like how our mind works, how habits are formed, so on and so forth. And so we're able um, to look at some of these great things in philosophy and psychology. They're good, but I think it even says here on the sheet here that secular uh, psychology tends to have good points, but it's through a worldview that's leading counter to the gospel of Jesus. So good, good ways of helping us think like, hey, let's, let's think through this. Let's set up accountability. Let's create a clear path for victory and overcoming a particular addiction or whatever it may be. Um, but it lacks the true power, as we know as believers, the true power of the gospel. Yeah. So I think the, the goal of a Christian counselor would be like, yes, you want to be qualified to be able to teach the right thing. So articulating what is right. But also you want to learn how to guide people. Because counseling is not just teaching, it involves teaching. But it's not just coaching, because you also need to be able to, to give people right instruction, but to guide them at the right place at the right time where they're at to the next step and so forth. So you want to try to integrate all of these things together. Yeah. yeah. I'll, and I'll pick back one thing on that. Um, as I've been doing my training and studying with Jim Neuheiser and ABC, ACBC, uh, their training stuff. He makes this great statement, and I've used it before, that uh, the D DSM gives great definitions for problems in life. They just give hardly, if any, solutions whatsoever hmm. to where we can use those definitions to define something that someone's dealing with, but then we have the solution. We have God's word that can help us in those situations when that person is struggling with something. Uh, and so that's, that's some great things there. So, John, we'll start with you on this one. How can the gospel help those facing the 21st century mental problems? How can the gospel help someone that's saying, I'm, I'm struggling with something that 
This is new. The world's telling me this is all brand new. No one's ever experienced this type of problem in my life. How can the gospel help someone like that? Okay, so the idea is gospel-centered counseling, gospel-centered help. Um, I think Kristen said soul care. Um, if we want to get biblical, like real biblical language, we're talking about discipleship, right? We're talking about one person walking with another person about a specific issue they're struggling with. And scripture, you know, can say that, that that's discipleship. But track, backtrack it a little bit to the question, how could the gospel help those facing 21st century mental problems? And I think that uh, we, Jonathan and I were talking about this just a little bit ago about defining terms. You know, define your terms. What are we talking about when we talk about mental problems? Are we talking about this from the aspect of what uh, the secular world is defining mental problems? Or are we starting with a biblical basis? The Bible sort of identifies what's going on within the soul with the word the heart. Now, we've allowed, again, allowed culture to hijack and redefine terms. When we think heart, we think, you know, the love center of where your emotions are coming from, all right? That's only one small aspect. Uh, I don't know if that's a Disney type of culture that's affected our psyche and the way that we interpret things, but when you go to the Bible, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's actually almost a threefold definition throughout Scripture. It's talking about the mind center, what you're thinking, how you think. It's talking about, yes, your emotions and your will. It's speaking of all of those in one aspect. And so when it speaks of the heart, it's talking about all of that. So are we talking about mental problems? We're talking about soul problems, the whole person of makeup? Are we talking about, have we divorced that from your soul and just talking about mental issues? And I think that if we go approach this from a biblical perspective, then we're thinking of it all completely. And from that point, if we're taking that approach to it, then we see that the Bible has a corpus of answers for that. So then track that to the beginning of the question. What does the gospel have for us to help those problems? Well, I asked this question. And honestly, Mark was answering these questions earlier today. But what is man? That's what you, these are the questions you really need to ask from a starting point. What is man and what is man's greatest need? See, it's real easy to get focused on the problem that they come in with, or they coming to you. And by the way, let me go back to an aspect of everyone's a counselor. Research has shown that when anybody's struggling with anything or any problem, they're either going to talk to their friend or a family member before they talk to anybody that's considered a pastor or professional. They will talk to someone they know. That's why it's important for us to, to have this understanding and this knowledge to be ready, right? Jonathan, be ready to give an answer, yeah. okay? So, um, so how does the gospel, what is man and what is man's greatest need? Bring it back. I'm a simple person. I like to simplify things. So simplify it. What is man and what is, great, what is man's greatest need? Come back to the heart of the issue and start growing from there. I know I've been sort of talking a little bit before. One more thing before I send it over to to Kristen and Jonathan, but this, I always do this illustration. I don't have a, a board to draw on, but somebody comes in and I listen to them for the first session and they're talking about either they're struggling with uh, pornography or addiction, they're struggling with depression, they're struggling with marriage problems, they're struggling, whatever it is that they're saying, this is my problem. 
most likely is just the symptom. So this is what I do. I take a diagram, and I'm a horrible drawer, but I draw a tree. And I'll take uh, a pen, and I'll circle like, like fruit on the tree. And inside the fruit, I'll put anxiety, depression, whatever it is, addiction, whatever it is they say they're struggling with. You know, I'm the anger. I'm, I'm upset with it. You know, I don't, what it is. And I said, this is what you think your problem is. But if we just spend our time uh, attacking this and we are able to have like 20 sessions where we, we get this and you go home and you do not have that, what's going to happen? Knowing what we know about fruit trees, what's going to happen? It's going to grow back. So what we need to do, that's the fruit. We actually need to find out what the root issue is. And where do we go? How do we do that? All right? Hebrews 4. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is the discerner of the what? Thoughts and intents of the what? Heart. Heart. And I'm telling you, when you start digging into like the idols of the heart, I, I love, I do that with anybody that comes in there. And you start seeing it, you have them do this thing or this thing or look at James 4 and it's like they come in, they're like, this is, this is my issue. I want control. Yeah. I didn't do that. I didn't tell that to them, even though I probably already pegged it. <laughs> I didn't tell them that. But it was, it was the word of God that revealed that to them as they were digging in it. All right, so. Kristen. Yeah, no, um, I would definitely echo everything that you said there. One of the things that um, you said that reminded me and that I had in my notes is the idea of taking those problems or, you know, those presenting problems and putting them into biblical language. Because a lot of times if you're counseling or if you're overwhelmed about counseling or not sure about it, you're like, well, Bible doesn't specifically talk about depression and what to do with depression. It doesn't specifically talk about this. How am I supposed to figure that out? Um, and one of the best in my church, I was talking to our soul care pastor about it. And he said, so the Bible doesn't specifically say, you know, this is what you do about a manipulator or an abuser or a narcissist or all these buzzwords that are out there right now. Um, but it does talk about oppressors. Mm -hmm. And being oppressed. And so mm -hmm. taking it and putting that into biblical language and referring to that helps you then be able to say, oh, scripture absolutely does talk about oppressors yep, yeah. and what to do and how to handle them and what our responses to that. That opens up now. Okay, so when someone is dealing with that in their life of either they are themselves the oppressor or they have someone that is oppressing them. Now, I put it into biblical language. Scripture talks a lot about that. And that has to be, I think, that not I think... It's one of the hardest things is to always coming back to scripture and putting it in what is scripture. And it's not a prescriptive thing where it's like, oh, like you said, a one and done. Someone said, you know, oh, if you read this verse or memorize this verse, here you go. You're done. Like and a lot of times we'll think of biblical counseling in those terms that it's very like, oh, you deal with anxiety. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why are you? Why are you yeah. concerned? Like you're done. Must yeah. not be trusting enough. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You just got to trust harder. Yeah. And then we kind of fall into this weird like legalism trying to earn our and uphold our yep. salvation and you know it starts spiraling into all these different things um but scripture is important and like you said it's it is what discerns and the thoughts and intents of our heart so it is very scripture based but it's not a bullet of a scripture base of like, oh, okay, you're done. It is literally walking alongside with them um and 
it's not it's not formulaic. It's it's not the same thing every time. You might see patterns and be able to be like, oh, okay. So they said this. So maybe we might study this passage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not formulaic. It's not the same every time. And so it is literally um, getting to know the person, especially if it's someone that you don't have um, an interaction with or don't have an established relationship with. It takes sometimes three or four sessions if you're in like a more like a traditional counseling session. Sometimes it takes two, three or four sessions before you know that person and kind of are hearing their story and hearing their hurts mm-hmm. and crying with them and yeah. hopefully getting some righteous anger if they've been wronged, like mm-hmm. and being able to empathize with that. Um, but then always not leaving them there because anyone can do that, right? Anyone can listen and anyone can say that you were wrong. That was awful, but not leaving them there Yeah, yeah that's good. because the gospel good is what gives us the hope and scripture and taking them back to scripture and saying, yes, horrible, awful, but you don't have to stay there because they don't want to stay there. That's why they're coming to you to talk about it or coming to someone to talk about it because they don't want to stay there. And we have the answers. God has given us the answers in his word. Jonathan, anything to add? Well, uh, yeah, I'm trying not to rehash what you guys said. (laughs) That was really good stuff. Um, One one way I like to think of it is like we want to give gospel advice to people, but we also want to... um, think about the way that we're structuring things mm-hmm. with people by the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. So like, what do I mean by that? Like I could actually cut somebody could come and they could be hurting and um, I could give them something that would fit under the banner of this is biblical advice. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned rejoice in the Lord always. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that's biblical, right? I could argue that that's, you know, that would be gospel centered because the Bible says Philippians four rejoice in the Lord always. But the same Bible that gives us that verse gives us a whole book of lamentations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have like just because, you know, you used a verse that was biblical doesn't mean necessarily that it was informed fully by the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so when when we when somebody's come and they're hurt, the gospel doesn't just say, hey, I want you to fake your optimism. Mm. Just gonna let's just be let's just throw some joy in that and let's just be happy. No, actually, the Lord allows us to come in a state of brokenness. Yeah. We're actually able to come and pour out our emotions on Him. So if if I'm a counselor and I want to show them Jesus, I got to be that type of person that says, "Hey, I'm gonna allow them to actually be able to just pour this out." Actually, what they need right now is someone to sit in love, and that's what yeah. God does. And that's what we see manifested to the gospel. You see what I mean by that? So you just want to go through and say, okay, am I showing them the reality of the gospel in the way that I approach my counseling? Um, doesn't shy away from getting around to what joy looks like in the midst of utter devastation. But you want to lay it out and say, hey, you know, it's okay to grieve. God actually tells us that it's good for us to process these things. Mm-hmm. Like Hebrews 4, I think when you mentioned Hebrews, but um, Hebrews 4, it says in uh, Hebrews 4, 13, we're both open and naked before whom we have to give an account. Mm-hmm. The chapter ended there, that's not very encouraging. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. God knows you very deeply. Yeah. He knows how deep and dark the path goes. But then the, ver- the verse is gone. It says, we have a sympathetic savior mm-hmm. and who invites us to come and 
he's sympathetic towards our weaknesses. And then right on that, he says, okay, now come boldly. So if you get the context, on your worst day, God knows it all, he sees it all, and he still invites you to come boldly. Yeah. So I want to create a context where somebody doesn't come to Christian, culture, uh, Christian counseling having it all together and coming with their Christianese or even their gospel speech that makes mm-hmm. them sound like they're, they're all put together and good. I want to invite them to come and say, hey, God invited you to come to Christ as you are, not cleaned up, mm-hmm. you know, not with a facade of righteousness. You can come and actually when somebody can come and be them and really tell you where they're at. It is a part of the healing process. And they're going to get to the place of, mm-hmm. what does it mean to have joy in Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my spouse just left me. <laughs> and, you know, in psychology, they'll say something like, well, you can't control what others do, but you can control what you do. That's good advice. But if I take the gospel, I can go further than that. I can say, you know, um, not only, um, well, you can only control what you can, you can't control them. But we can go to God who controls all things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can trust him. That doesn't mean that person's going to come back, right? Mm-hmm. But it does mean that regardless, I know my God is sovereign and in control. But after they've worked through processing and just pouring out their heart, this gospel information can really revolutionize a person's life. So anyways. That's yeah. some yeah. fantastic wisdom. <laughs> That's good. That's very good wisdom because uh, what is probably one of the most well-known verses when someone is suffering or struggling. Romans, Romans 8, 28, right? All things, so. Is that true? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but you've got to be very careful with how you wield that verse. Yeah. You've got, like, I love that answer, Jonathan, because you've got to walk with them and love them and then guide them into that truth before you hit them over the head with it. Yeah. And they're probably going to say some very scary things. I know that was when I was first in the counseling room and some things that they say sometimes and how they view God, some of the things that they say and just those feelings and those emotions that are coming out. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, this is kind of scary, but helping them like being that listening ear. And for me, it was like schooling my face to not be like, (gasps) Oh no, <laughs> you know, that, that reaction of like, I don't know what to do with this or anything, you know? Um, but just letting them, yeah. letting them express those, um, those thoughts that are going on, yeah. because if you don't hear it, you don't know what's going on in yeah. them. Right. Yeah. And if, and, and going back again to something Jonathan said, um, if you are, if you got somebody in your, in your sphere that's talking to you or something like that, that's going through some type of intense suffering or dealing with suffering from their past, um, get to understand lamentation. Mm-hmm. Psalms of lament will be their greatest friend. Um, so I, I, one of my first counselees was someone who had been sexually abused as a child, sexually abused as a teenager, um, emotionally abused uh, by parents, domestically abused uh, in, in her marriage, and re- left God, said, I don't want anything to do with God. A few years later said, all right, I'm going to give God one more chance. Came to Christ by reading the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And this is where they were. I know I need to get back in church, but everything I've seen of church scares me to death. Yeah. I need help. All right. So eventually, 
This was not first. This is actually more like session six. Eventually, we're going to Psalms of Lament. And so we do things like, like we give what we call homework, whatever you want to call it. But I want them in the word. I want them doing some, some type of exercise or something to help, uh, help with throughout the week until we meet again. So one of the things that I, I heard this from somebody and I, I, I figured I would try it. One of the things I asked them to do was this. I said, I want you to read, I think it was Psalm 32 or 33. Uh, it was a Psalm of Lament. I said, I want you to read that every day this week. And I want you to sort of get the language that the psalmist is talking to God. Sort of shocking. What, you know, when you read a Psalm of Lament, it's like, whoa, this person is talking to God this way. Oh, yeah. And this is scripture. So get the way that they're talking to God about their struggle. I said, here's what I want you to do. After about day four or day five, I want you to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and I want you to write your own lament to God. I said, you don't have to tell me what it says. You don't have to tell anybody what it says, but you and God. And I said, he can handle it. And ever, you know, after about seven weeks later, we were finishing up sort of that sort of counseling, you know, uh, uh, session arrangement and I asked her, what was the thing that helped the most? And she said it was the Psalms of the Mm, good. A really good um, resource, again, he said we'll probably recommend books, is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And Mark Um, It is phenomenal. If you don't, if you look at Lamentations and you're like, I don't know, or these Psalms of Lament, or Psalms of Lament, that is a fantastic book to work through. Um, in just how laments, they have a structure to them a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And um, I know he also has a workbook that goes with it where, like, he asks you to do the same thing. Like, write out your own psalm of lament and um, work through it that way. So it's really good if you are looking for resources for that. Uh, I, again, I'm going to go back to work. Another thing Jonathan said that, is, that needs to be emphasized. And this, I, I say this because... And talking to more experienced counselors that are actually doing tra- training counselors right now, they said this is the number one problem they have with counselors that they're training. And that is the counseling session becomes a teaching lesson. Mm. And they said they, 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 they really have to work with them. And this is something that's going to be, for some of you, it'll be the pit that you fall in the most, where you spend the most of the time just teaching them and speaking at them yeah. instead of it going back and forth, working with them, talking with them. And that is something like, if you're going to be engaging in this, uh, keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. And I'll add to both of that, because as a youth pastor and a children's pastor, I deal with teenagers and children all the time. And uh, I went to a breakout by Sean Perot. He's uh, Sean Perron. Sean Perot? Sean Perron. Perron. I always say his name wrong. But he's down in uh, Florida, and he does intentional counseling with specifically children, children that have been hurt, abused, and hurt in a lot of different ways. And he gave, he's given me so much advice over the last couple of years just dealing with situations. Uh, but what he's always said, and I wrote it down, is being gentle and compassionate with no matter who you're with. Trying to figure out where they're at and work them along. And he gave a, a great case study uh, that he was working through. And the, the, the actual talk was how to counsel hurting children. Children that have been hurt, but also kids that are hurting. And he gave this amazing story and how he began to just talk through with her what the gospel meant, how her, her mom and dad were killed in a car accident, how everyone that was around her who supposedly loved her abandoned her, how she was being abused. And what he said was, he said, I was able to bring her to a place of understanding of knowing who God was and how God is unchanging. 
and how God was going to be there no matter what. And he said it was with the children, it's, it's a whole lot longer process. And so understanding that and being gentle and compassionate with those things are very, very important. So for sake of time, our third question was, uh, what are some examples? How can the gospel help us with marriage troubles, anxiety, depression? We just listed a couple. But for sake of time, because we want to get to your questions, we're going to open up for the next 20, 30 minutes for any questions you may have for us. Uh, it could be a situation. Uh, and remember, it, it, we don't have a lot of the backstory. So you may say, hey, I, I've got someone well, that, that's dealing with that. That's a good point. That's a good point um, that I want. I, I think sports making. Want, it you want to finish the point, or you <laughs> no? I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's worth making at this time. Like, um, I mean, we're talking about things to help people, but but one of the things that that is 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 huge, and this is a scriptural principle from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs eighteen thirteen. He that answers a matter before he hears it does a foolish and stupid thing. Yeah, that's John Hollifield's translation. Okay. Um, <laughs> But you need to gather as much information about the subject before you start talking. Also, as a reminder, we are recording it, and it could be played. So make sure you're not giving any details. Like if you do ask a question about a situation, not any identifying details or anything like that, yeah. just for yeah. the um, confidentiality of the person that you're working with. I'm not talking about like talking today. Yeah. But I'm talking about when you're, when you're, when you're with someone and they're asking you, you know, I spend... First session with somebody, I have them fill out a five-page information form, and then I spend 45 minutes of the hour session asking them questions. But, and then, you know, it's the first, our, our goal is of, of session one is to give hope, gather information and give hope. Yeah. I don't start working with like, you know, it take, you got to build, you got to build a relationship, but you also have to gather information Yeah. because there's things, this thing. People never tell you the whole story right at the beginning. And I'll give one practical illustration there. Two weeks ago, we fed our local football team uh, at our church. It was a seventh grade, seventh eighth grade football team at the middle school. The cheerleaders were there. I gave the devotion on the armor of God and how we can fight the devil with the armor of God. And I had a young girl come up to me. She was one of the coaches. She was in high school, and she said, "Hey, can I talk to you after I get done eating?" I said, "Sure." Didn't know if it was, you know, gospel, whatever it was. She came to me. She said, I believe Jesus. I, everything you said, I believe. I believe that he came down the cross. She, she affirmed the gospel. She said, but I just need to be back in church. I, I'm not in church. Can you help me with that? The easy response would have been, you know, Hebrew says we should be together. Get back in church. That, that would have been my easy response, right? So what I did was I said, you know what? I've got five minutes. This is going to be a whole lot longer process. Can I ask you a couple questions just to see where you're at? Why, 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 what's so hard for you about going to church? She was like, well, you know, my family, we grew up in church. My dad died, committed suicide six years ago. She said, since my dad died, my mom's been out of church. I've been out of church. All of a sudden, I began to see a little bit more of the picture. And I just gave her one, because I had five minutes. They were, they were literally loading the bus. I had five minutes. And I said, can I ask you one question? I said, where was your dad's service at? And she said, it was in a church. I said, do you think that may be a problem of why you have this resentment or fear of going into a church. And I gave her a little bit of hope and encouragement, but again, I only have five minutes, but it's just simply trying to get as much information as you can before you try to give any type of help. Because if we don't know the whole story, how can we truly help them? So that's sort of our thoughts. 
these Johnson, guys are anybody else got any these guys are a whole lot more qualified than I am so uh, what's your what's your thoughts concerns questions is there a situation that you're dealing with or something that you may have for us that we can try to help you out with and if we're done I mean hey we get water go downstairs and we're good <laughs> yeah ben. DCS. Is this a single mom? Single mom, yeah. Single mom, kids not really done much discipline in the past, broken home, and having parenting issues now. What do you do? Johnson, (laughs) take it away. (laughs) I'll put you on the spot. I would. I'm the moderator, sorry. You got that right. That's right. Wait a minute ago, you wanted to talk. Yeah. <laughs> moderator, the moderator can't give some input. That, yeah. That's right. Um, I made that rule up too. So first, um, I would want to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, I would want to make sure that I understood her mm-hmm. and really listened to her. Um, a lot of times, like, like you're talking about prescription, it can be easy just to say, do this, this, and this, you know, mm-hmm. get back with me in a week. But, um, you know, no doubt that she's, she probably is facing just some, some mental struggle herself. And I, I know that if she tries to um, instill, like, a rhythm of discipleship, her, her own heart and uh, sense of personhood is not, is out of whack. I know that that it, it's probably going to shortcut the, um, or I should say, cut short 
the type of fruit that she wants to see because she's probably like probably a bit anxious like man I need to get these kids moving in the right direction but an anxious presence doesn't really create a good discipleship context so I would really want to help her become and adopt this non-anxious presence like your kids are not going to go from where they are now Um, and even I think us who have kids and we've been trying to do it right from the very beginning (laughs) we're still like uh, I'm confused how do I do this what's happening you know at different uh, life stages so um, I just think really trying to help her adopt this non-anxious just gentle gracious parenting that's just saying hey I want them to see Jesus now when I say gentle gracious I don't mean that you never enforce Mm -hmm. things (laughs) and discipline and so forth but um, I do think the um, the gentleness of Christ and the gospel should impact in the way that we parent. So I would want to make sure that she understands that. And and if she's going to parent that way, she's got to understand her relationship to God is actually that way. Mm-hmm. So I would want to do that. Then, on a very practical level, I would try to set up a rhythm for her. So this is after we've already done these other things. I would try to set up a rhythm for her in helping to start to create a new culture in the home. Yeah. And um, that rhythm would consist of not just like, do you pray with the kids? Do you read your Bible Bible with the kids? But um, it, it would be more um, um, it would be more than just like disciplines like that, but I'm actually saying, hey, let, how can we help shape a worldview for your kids as well? Like one thing that I do with my kids. So anytime I play with my kids, not every single time, but when I play with my kids, I try to think of a way that I could not in a weird way, like, Hey, let's stop and have a Bible lesson, (laughs) but more of like, isn't it so cool that God allows us to play? Yeah. Now what I'm doing there is I'm, I'm trying to actually shape the way my kids view fun. You know, like God is not just about you sitting in church on Sunday. Still, God is actually very interested in you having fun. And so if you can take the daily habits, because this is like Deuteronomy 6 stuff. As you go about your day, lay them down. As you walk about the way, yeah. you're trying to show them the glory and beauty so of Jesus. If they only see that like, okay, now we're going to have our formal reading of the Bible. Now we're going to do our Jesus stuff. And it's always kind of, in their mind, a little bit more boring. It's mm-hmm. not something that they want to run to. But if you're just like, man, this is how awesome our God is. We just got to play for a whole hour. Or yeah. we got to whatever, whatever it may be. It might be being out in creation and saying, hey, what's your favorite leaf that God created? So, but you're, you're not just saying, hey, look at these leaves. What's your favorite leaf? You know, take the opportunities to yeah. shape the roof. So I think um, if that's done in a rhythm style, you'll begin, to see, you'll begin to see a change. And, of course, that also comes with particular disciplines of a rhythm well. Obviously, any counseling and parenting consistencies the game. Yeah. Got to be really, really consistent. Can I, can I give two practical illustrations there? One. Okay. One. one. I may give two. <laughs> if it's uh, a point, <clears throat> it's an illustration. So, I think he had. Uh, Do you have a question? Well, yeah, I'll throw it in there, I guess. Okay. I don't want to okay, yeah, so practically for me in that situation, we just had our trunk or treat. Yep. Had a thousand kids come through the church. My kids are out there. We're interacting. And all of a sudden, an autistic kid came through. And was trying to open his bag and he couldn't. Well, his mom went to help him. Well, all of a sudden he just made just, just loud outburst. 
And so we're all out there. My daughter didn't even realize what it was. And so she just started giggling and laughing. And so we took her aside and we said, hey, my wife did because she's a lot better at this than I am. And she explained to her what, what, why he did that. She said, you didn't even realize that God made him different. He, he can't function the same way we can. And in that, just that consistency of saying, hey, this is how we treat others. And you don't even realize that your actions that you just did hurt him. Because he didn't even know why you were responding like that. So just practically, in a, and like I said, my wife is a thousand times better than I am. Because I'm just like ripping their face off. You're pastor's kid. What are you doing? And she's like, no, come here. Let me, let me talk through this with you. Help you understand. John tells me all the time how bad of a dad I am. So, uh, you know, we work through that um, in, in different ways. Can I just yeah, say yeah, one more thing yeah. about just this, just kind of helping shape our minds with the gospel. Like um, we can sometimes, like the law of God is good, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. But being gospel oriented um, changes the way we operate when we lay down, we, we put down a law or a rule for our kids. Um, if we operate kind of like almost old covenant, like break the law, here's the consequences. And we almost get this idea of God is not going to respond to me favorably until all of this is resolved. You know, I got to get all of this right. God's not going to respond favorably to me. And so there's almost a distance in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But actually, when we look at um, our relationship in the gospel, it's like, hey, even when I'm like really blowing it, I'm not relating well to God at all. God doesn't say, hey, when you get your life you know, figured out, maybe I'll be favorable to you again. Mm-hmm. No, the gospel is still that God is very present with us. He lo- and so what, one, one thing that my uh, Beth and I try to do with our kids is when I'm finding there's a consistent attitude problem, I could throw law at my kids, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But what I like to do, even if I do lay down some type of law or rule, I try to go over the top in pursuing relationship. So instead of just saying, man, my kid's acting up, I'm going to go tell him he needs to stop it. I'm going to lay a harder rule. I'm going to take everything away from him, and he's going to be grounded for a month. I'm saying, you know, I actually need to spend more quality, concentrated time with him, exploring who he is, his likes and dislikes, every time. Now, again, every kid's different, right? With my son, Adrian, when he's really not obeying, he's not listening, if I just spend quality time with him, his mood begins to change. If I just throw law at him, it, it does, it, I feel like I still kind of stir up that rebel in him, if that makes sense. And if you think about it, I'm not saying don't have law. I'm just saying, hey, let's make sure that we we amp up that relationship. So if I was talking to this mom, I would try to get into where the mom is regularly in a rhythm spending quality time with each of her kids because that's going to be the way in. Building off of that, how would you counsel where and how to work in the the discipline aspect? Okay, Ben, going back to what you said earlier, Does she need convincing that discipline needs to... I was trying to understand why you were asking it earlier. Does she not think that she should discipline? I think it's the struggle on... It's just life Life is hard. How to do it in a way that she doesn't get in trouble, right? She knows she should. It's just hard. Okay. I believe so. So it's how to do it in a way where it don't get in trouble, but also it's teeth. So essentially the discipline now is there's no teeth to it. Okay, I'm going to give you a resource and then because... Time is fleeting. I'm going to give you a resource. Yeah, and, and if somebody else has a scenario or something like that. 
It's a resource. It's called. It's it's and it'd be perfect for a situation like that because it's not a big book. It's like a little small. You know, probably could be called a booklet. It's probably about 35, 40 pages. It's about Jim Newheiser. It's called Parenting is More Than a Formula. Mm-hmm. Jim and Caroline Newheiser are. Uh, he teaches at a seminary. Um, and uh, as the head of the biblical counseling department, he's pastor for 26 years. They had the quintessential Christian home. They have three boys, all adults. None of them are in the faith. And he goes in there and says, we did everything that you are supposed to do to put out the product of Christian kids. And what he does in that book is explain that ultimately... That kid makes their own choices, and ultimately, it is God that works in their heart. You can have all the discipline and all the structure you want. And this is really what Jonathan was getting at. This is what Jonathan was trying to explain. It's grace. Mm-hmm. It is a grace. Should we discipline? Yeah, Hebrews, Hebrews 12, right? Hebrews 12 is your quintessential proof of discipline is supposed to be there, right? But at the end of the day, it's grace, and that's the gospel. All right. Can I also throw in real quick um, for an application aspect? Don't discount other um, older women yeah. in your church. Get her that. partnered up church with, to help sing with someone. Um, maybe that is old, older in age, but definitely older in like spiritual maturity. Maybe yeah. that has been there because what also I think what she's probably wanting is support. She's a yep. single mother. Yep. She does not have a husband that is helping her with these kids and helping be the disciplinarian or help with that and shoulder that burden. So um, for sure, if there is someone within the church that can come alongside her and walk with her through this, um, will help her. And so that when she hits those points of like, I don't know what to do, she can call up her friend that is discipling her and that is walking through this and being like, I'm at my wit's end. My kid is in the, bad, the bedroom and we just had a screaming match. I need help. And they yeah. can maybe be able to help guide in that aspect. Yeah. And, and we emulate who we're around, mm-hmm. believe it or not. We, we begin to talk, use phrases of people that we're around. So if this person is someone who is more spiritually mature than her, it's going to help her spiritual journey too. Mm-hmm. In that area, if she's going to see if they go to the park together, how she interacts with her yeah. kids. And so it's going to be an example in a, in a whole, I mean, the Christian journey is a, is a lifestyle example. Mm-hmm. People see how we live. JC gave that illustration this morning uh, in a practical way. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Parenting by Paul David Tripp. Yeah, the best, the best out there. That's his that's marriage the best book, book is also the best. Uh, it, anything that Paul David Tripp writes by. Yeah, it's a little bit thicker, you know, but but yeah, it's it's parenting by Paul David Tripp. That's for everybody. It's the best book out there, I think. Um, Anybody have anything? What's other questions, concerns? I have a question. April? Um, so I'm currently dealing with um, my father just passed away recently, and I'm about to be dealing with his family. And um, for years, they believe a lot of lies that he's told. Um, he was very abusive to my mother and I, and I'm about to have to deal with telling all of them what actually happened. Um, how do you go about dealing with breaking the news to them like your brother, your relative was actually not who you thought he was and working through it yourself and then maybe not wanting to work through it and being stuck in that place while you're trying to get through it 
while also trying to work through it yourself and get them to see what's true. Yeah. We'll go to this question to Kristen here. Oh. Yeah. Um, or John. Is, or John. Is, you can throw it to John if you want to. That is tough. And um, first I want to say I'm sorry for your loss, even if it wasn't, it might maybe not have been a um, ideal relationship. It's still a loss. Um, but I think one of the things to keep in mind is you can present truth, but you can't force them to accept it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's hard. That's really hard, especially when you're dealing with something that is um, deeply personal and deeply um, damaging and hurtful. Um, for ha To have people not, or try to dismiss that truth, it's very painful as well to you. Um, but you can present truth and pray, you know, beforehand that God gives you that the grace in that moment to be able to handle whatever that outcome looks like. Um, one of the best things that I've heard in regards to, like, especially when you're thinking of future things, things that you're going to be dealing with, is that God gives you the grace to deal with the things today, not the things that you have to deal with tomorrow. Like, I think of someone diagnosed with cancer, and I think, oh, I don't know how I could handle that. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my mentors, and she said, Kristen, Praise God, that is not what God has for you right now. But if it is in the future, he will absolutely give you the grace to deal with that and be able to handle that with the grace. Um, that his grace is for that day and for the problems of that day. Um, and so trust that he will be faithful in that. Um, maybe have it, you know, um, doing a study on, I always go back to the attributes of God because I think when we know who God is, um, it helps us to be able to trust. And when we know that he's been faithful here, we know that he will be faithful then, no matter the outcome. Because that's the thing is that you can't control that outcome. You want to be able to. Um, all of us want to be able to control that outcome. But we can't control it. Um, we can pray and rally around with people to pray to that end that they will, you know, receive it. And then that you might be able to help them process through it because you are already doing some of the work. Uh, be prepared for that, <laughs> like kind of helping them lead through that. Um, but I think that would be the biggest thing is that you can present truth, but you can't force them to accept it, unfortunately. And the funny thing about family is emotions are always mm -hmm. high. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I can sit here and I, I, I listen to as much training as I can, read as much books. But when my dad's in the room, it seems like <laughs> my mind goes blank, <laughs> you know, because I just, but, you know, emotions get there. Um, and quite honestly, if you are hit with resentment, I'm going to give you something for, for you during that time. Um, and they don't receive that well. Psalm 62 is going to be a good help for you. And that's where, you know, and there's plenty of other Psalms like Psalm 62, but Psalm 62, God is our defender. You know, when we're being attacked, you know, go to that refuge, let him be your refuge he is your defender when others are attacking you. Yeah. And it is powerful to know that we can speak the truth and we can do it lovingly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what, that's what we're commanded to do is speaking the truth in love. It may hurt. It may hurt being brutally honest. My wife has went through some things with her mom recently that I've had to, we've both had to be truthful in and loving there. And it is tough, but we can do it with love, grace and truth. It goes hand in hand. Uh, law and grace goes hand in hand as 
Jonathan has said many times so far. So, but I would beforehand, I would sit down and think, what would worst case scenario look like, mm -hmm. and say, how should I respond in a way that would be shaped by the gospel? Yeah. And I would really think I want I want to plan as if this is going to turn out really bad, and I want to have the right. Um, What's the right response? Because if you go in thinking it's going to turn out really good, and it does turn out really bad, you're like, oh, goodness, I was not yeah. I don't know, I do this. And you might actually become a very anxious person and say things that were even hurtful back or whatever, and it can be a huge mess. They might say, I don't want to talk about this right now, and I just think that respect is the good move and um, wait for that time, but always maintaining this non-anxious presence and so it's like, tell the truth, be non-anxious, and be willing to be that loving presence working people through that. And you might have to triage some of the information that you give. Like, I don't know how many, like how often you're going to have interaction with them, but it might not be a, here's everything. It might be more of like a, these are probably maybe the bigger ones that they need to know. And then just as you get deeper and interact with them a little bit, because it might be a lot to be able to hear You've been told all this time lies that they don't know are lies, or maybe they might know or are turning a blind eye to, but it might just have to be more, rather than a fire hose of here's all the things you, you were lied to, more of like a garden hose or an eyedropper, depending on who you're talking to, right? Like it might have to be little by little of like, oh, that wasn't the truth. Like this is actually what happened. But fire hoses typically don't have help, mm. but sometimes you're in a situation where that is how it has to go. Yeah. Yep. Probably time for maybe one more. Four minutes. If anybody has, yeah. Okay. We'll get them both. We'll get them both. We'll get them yeah, both. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I am 32 years old, and I am in stage five kidney failure. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 11, and that's what caused the kidney failure. And I try my hardest not to get into the Joe why me, I wish I never would have been born, mm -hmm. kind of thing. But um, I have so many people at my church tell me what an inspiration I am to them, and I have no idea how I'm that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of, what, what advice would you guys give me scripturally that I could study? meditate on and because I've, I've only been saved for two years and I don't really know about it. Great. John will take this to you. Second and, uh, Corinthians 1. Each, each person had a question. Second Corinthians 1. I'm going to turn there and read it. Second Corinthians 1. Alright. And not only is this a, a passage for like that type of it's suffering, it's gospel saturated. Alright. Uh, first two verses is a greeting to Paul the church. Verse 3. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us and all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those. Why are we comforted by God? To comfort those. In what? Our tribulation. That's a tall order, God. 
I don't want to comfort other people in my tribulation. Yeah. I want to be out of my tribulation. But watch this. Watch the, watch the progression. All right. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. How can we do this? Because he did it. And he offers that comfort to us. It's like a channel. It's, it's coming from what we see in his sufferings comforts us. We can then, in our sufferings, comfort others. He goes on verse six. If we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective in enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Our hope for you is steadfast knowing that as you partake in the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we would not, brothers, have you ignorant of our troubles which came to us in Asia. And he begins to go on and talk about what they went through. I don't know why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. I think I do know. But I know <laughs> one of the reasons why. Because on one aspect, you identify and understand Christ more than some of us can. Yeah. And on another aspect, you can offer comfort to someone where some of us can't. And according to the gospel, that in itself is also a comfort. Someone else had their hand up? I was just, just saying. Or, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, um, I don't know. Do you know who Tim Keller is? Uh, he wrote a book that's called On Death. He wrote it. Um, he's in, he has stage four cancer. And um, he wrote this book because he thought he had gospel resources to face something that was impending. And it's basically why I asked this is because I, I want to be able to reach the people mm. in my dialysis unit mm. and all the doctors I have to see and all the nurses. And that's kind of what led me to go to seminary was because I have an in with mm -hmm. people who I, I don't know if they've heard the gospel. I don't know if. Yeah. Didn't John Piper write a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer? Don't waste your life. I know that's his famous he book. But it's like a booklet or something like that. This this book though, um, it's just it's really really helpful. He's really honest. Um, yes, we do. But I do think do. Um, being able to to actually because what can happen is when we have death in front of us, we can often look at like maybe there's a miracle or maybe there's a way out or maybe there's, you know, and we actually could, but maybe there's not a way out. And maybe God actually is bringing you to this point on for a purpose, mm. and that's hard to hear. Mm -hmm. But it's um, but the living hope of a Christian is that hey, in Christ, we actually will be resurrected into life. And but that didn't stop Jesus when he was in John 11 and Lazarus was dead and everybody was mourning. He actually wept, and um, it's interesting that. The, the Greek there actually communicates he actually wept in anger. Yep. Because yeah. the fact is, is that death is actually an enemy. Yeah. And Christ actually did defeat it. 
Yeah. And what is in front of you is actually something that we, it is right to be angry about. But at the same time, that is what our living hope is. And I would, I would really try to face death rather than turn away from it. Yeah. And um, the best thing that you could give someone in that space, in my estimation, is like, how in the world can you have confidence? And that's going to come and go, as you've admitted, right? Yeah. <laughs> All of us, we, we're humans. It's like some days I'm on top of the world, and then, and then Nick, yeah, like, I'm 32. And in my dialysis ward, they brought a 19-year-old kid in that can't even go to the bathroom by himself anymore. He has to be catheter every day. Yeah. And I, I can still go to the bathroom. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm winning. But still, it's like... Yeah. It, it's kind of like how you were saying Jesus wept. Like, I look at him and I want to help him. I want to reach him. And that, that's just, that's why I feel like I got saved literally three months later. I found out I was in kidney failure. Mm. Like, you know, when you get saved, you're like, oh, I've got life above Top of the world. Yeah. this. And it's like the floor just fell out. And it was like, did I do it wrong? Mm. Did it not stick? Mm. Like, what? Mm. That kind of thing. Yeah. There's a temporary hope that miracles could bring. Like, we'd say, let's pray to healed. Yeah. But you will still die someday, and I will too. Mm-hmm. Barring Jesus coming back, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, the actual hope of a Christian is not a temporary fix. It's the that eternal fix of a new heaven and a new earth. Mm. And you're going to be there, and I'm going to be there. And... The more I can allow my mind to dwell in that reality and face death with the gospel, it'll it'll actually help. And I think that so what people are looking for in the midst of suffering is the resources to help them get through it. And I think if you are able to embody that and like and even actually be honest and say, there's days I actually really do struggle with this. <laughs> but here's something that this is the resource the gospel has given me to rise above. And Peter, in First Peter, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. He's talking about living hope. He says, Though you're grieved now with various trials. So what it tells me is that there's grief and joy can coexist. Mm-hmm. It's not like you either have grief or you have joy. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. Gospel hope actually gives me a joy that co- coexists with grief, but it actually, actually transcends the grief. You know what verse that is? It's First Peter... 1, 6, and 7. You can actually go from verses 6 down to verse 9. Well, doesn't Hebrew 12 also talk about Jesus saying the joy that was set before him at the cross? Yeah, Hebrews 12, 3. Yeah. Hebrews 12, 3. I mean, that's, that, he was facing death. He was facing excruciating pain in the garden. He cried, Lord, take this cup from me. But yet we see also in Hebrews where he says this was a joy for him to be able to experience this. So... All right, we've got, we're over time, but we'll hit that last person, whoever it was over here. I didn't see her. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't see your hand. Um, so I left fundamentalism more than 10 years ago. Um, but, and most of my family left, but my dad went back recently, and so did one of my brothers about a year ago, which is kind of how I started listening to the podcast and all that. Um, so for years, I would go toe-to-toe with my dad, especially when I was younger, about theology, rules, all this kind of stuff. And as I've gotten older, I felt like 
it's not respectful. I'm not going to change my dad. And, you know, honoring my dad is not something I prioritized when I was younger, but at this point, I feel like that's how I can show honor to him by not doing that anymore. Um, but recently, my dad came and visited us and left like a sermon series with us and was very insistent that he wanted us to listen to it and just called and asked if I listened to it. And my husband was like, why don't you listen to this? I was like, because I just, it means something to him, so I'll listen to it. So I put it on, and it wasn't but a few minutes into it, and I'm, I'm sitting in my car, and I'm going, oh my God, I feel panicked. Like, I feel panic in the pit of my stomach. Like, and it takes me back, like, when I came back a year ago and started looking at all this stuff, I felt like for the first time I understood what it meant to be triggered. Like, I was watching stuff on IV preacher clips, and I, I felt small, I felt insignificant, I felt like all these things that I never realized came from this background. So, in listening to that sermon series, it's now just made me wonder, like, where is, where is the correct place to fall, right? Because do I just tell my dad, dad, no, I don't want to listen to this? And just shut that down, which will be an argument um, because he's that kind of person. Um, or do I listen to it and like are those things that I should be exploring? Like why do I feel panicked? Or like for a while I was seeing a counselor and we were going through some of that, but I'm not now. So I'm kind of just like, what is the healthy and responsible and respectful thing to do? I want to answer the the part about working with your dad, and then I want to give it to Kristen to talk about the the panic. Is that all right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So first of all, I'd say um, resource another resource recommendation. Um, there is a mini book you'll see down there in the um, in the lobby area. Brian has a little stand set up with these little tiny mini books on a rotation. In that series, it's uh, just a year old. There's a mini book called How to Love Difficult Parents. And um, that's greatly helped me, again, by one of my favorite guys, Jim Neuheiser. It's called How to Love Difficult Parents. And a uh, fantastic resource for sort of understanding that. I'd say Ephesians 6, you know, classic passage on, on children and parents, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Here's the idea. Should you be obeying your father? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. What does it commit? But should you honor him? All right. Now, does honoring honoring him necessarily mean that you need to obey him if it's going to cause this type of emotional harm? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, so discerning a little bit right there, all right, what is being respectful and honoring to my dad where I'm honoring the command in Ephesians, but also understanding I'm not in his home, so the command to obey is not to me anymore. So discerning where that. Now, I'm going to let Kristen sort of address the, the anxiety. Um, so to, straight up, to answer your question, is that something to deal with? Yes. <laughs> I think that, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, in that way. Right. In that way, I mean, you know, like, it's hard to answer that directly because I don't know the level of panic and anxiety. Like, is it something that is exciting? Is it something that... You can handle like maybe a little bit, you know, and being able to interact with it that way. Um, but more the hard work is 
getting to the bottom of why it is that that is causing the anxiety, right? Rather than um, we can cope with the anxiety, you know, there's, and that's part of what psychology does a lot of times in different things. They give you great coping mechanisms, but they never deal with it ultimately. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't give you like, great, I can cope with it, um, but it's still gonna be there. Um, so it's kind of um, getting to the root of why it is that that is causing anxiety and what, um, and it's, it might be painful, and I know you said it's been many years since you've left IFB. My best friend and I, Shanna, have the Grow and Grace podcast, and we talk about all the time about how we are constantly finding things where we're like, oh, that's, I was taught incorrectly in that. Like, I've believed this for 36 years now incorrectly. And so um, sometimes it's painful to, be, to have to go through and think through, like, why is this causing me anxiety? What am I believing incorrectly about God? What am I believing incorrectly about myself and how God interacts? Um, and, but whether, I don't know, maybe you guys can help determine of like, whether that is a good way of doing it. I don't, it's a, it's a tricky, it's an, it's an we'd okay have to know, we, yeah. yeah, we'd have to get a lot of information because I'll tell you what, uh, there's some areas where if you're just not ready, you're not ready. But at the same time is the, is the fix for, um, fear and anxiety, just avoidance. Right. No. It's not, mm -hmm. all right. But um, we did. We have ne we have not done an episode on anxiety, but we did one on panic attacks. We okay. interviewed yeah. Lucy Ann Mole, and she had wrote a book on panic panic attacks. Uh, I don't know if that would be helpful or not, but sorry. I think we've got one on anxiety coming up that we're gonna okay. review. Okay, for sure, avoidance isn't because you can avoid it for the rest, but it's still there. Like you yep, know yep. that it's still there. And having to deal with it. So it's going to come out eventually. It's just, you know, where are you in a place to be able to deal with it? Yep. Um, well, and in what manner? And the only other question I would ask is, when do you have any of these talks with your dad or are you just avoiding them? You know, because sometimes we just avoid it, like she's saying, just because we don't want to deal with it. There is value, and I don't know where I heard this. I heard it recently in being able to talk and disagree in a Christ-like manner. Mm -hmm. and which, which I'm, I'm, I'm all about, not yeah. that I'm great at it, but yeah. I'm willing to like make that the aim. But, um, I mean, our house was like a screamer's house. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, and things will quickly, you know, all you really have to do is express that you don't agree, let alone express that you disagree. And then it and goes then into it defense mode, yeah. Headed, you know, yeah, this is why I'm right. Yeah. yeah. So, Jonathan, you give a closing comment and then close us in prayer. Okay. I've talked a lot. I was just trying to be quiet over here. Um, see, you guys laughed. Being good and you Exactly. Um, so, uh, I'm kind of in a similar situation, actually, because my parents actually they kind of came out of some of the IFB and then they went back to a church. It was quite a bit further legalistic than what they were before, mm -hmm. and um, so now every time we go back, it's gotten uh, it's gotten kind of intense. And um, I don't think for if you struggle mentally when you listen to that type of stuff, I wouldn't recommend continue to listen to it, especially if it's not truth. Yeah. 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 So let's flip it. Let's say that your your parent was actually not legalistic but licentious mm -hmm. and he was trying to lead you down a path of being completely counter to the life of God and he gave you 
a podcast that was pretty filthy. He says, hey, honor me and listen to this. Would you listen to it? Probably not. Both of these are equally dangerous. Legalism and licentiousness, especially since you had a legalistic background. So I think it would be better um, to just have an honest conversation with him if you could. And, and the honest conversation is not like, let me prove to why you're legalist and you're wrong. But we're just saying, you know, I think we've been talking about this for a long time. I just don't think we, want, we would agree. And the thing that I want to have, what I value with our family, is that we can have a context of love for one another. Mm. And listen, I am seeking God every day. And if you think I'm wrong, pray to God and ask him to change me. And, you know, I want to grow. And if there's things in my life I'm willing to change and grow in. But I don't want to make every time we get together this confrontation. I yeah. love you. I respect you. But I don't want to be at your throat. And I don't think you want to be at, at mine either. Can, can we come to an understanding here? And it kind of just closes that off. And, of course, thing, people change. So maybe years down the road, you might feel a place where you feel like you can engage in that conversation mm-hmm. in a more deep way. And it actually it leads to being more wholesome. I also would say sometimes when people age they can either mellow or they harden, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And he might get hardened. Just follow the Yeah, he might get harder. And so you just be really kind and say, hey, I just, I just don't want us to have these conversations, you know? And just be confident in the Lord and yet still loving to him, but just being firm on that. You're an adult woman. You know, you could say that. And I think it's totally fine in a respectful way. Yeah. So. You for us close oh, yes. over? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming by the way. This was a lot of fun. Found my new name, found that good grace, found that healing, and the tears fell down my face when I found my beginning that has no ending. Found that second chance. Thanks for listening to the For Freedom Podcast. If you enjoyed our content, do us a favor by liking, subscribing, or sharing our podcast on whichever podcast platform you use. Be sure to join us next time for the For Freedom Podcast.